Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming Dreamline Studios of Outlaw Radio USA, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in Los Angeles area. Even I don't know where we are. True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True Crime Uncensored, I am the, dare I say it, and I dare say it, legendary Burl Bear Man right there, Howard Lapidus. Why is it the star? Why, is, why could it possibly... How could you possibly know where we are? I don't have any idea. When's the first time you ever knew where you were ever? secret bunker. How am I supposed to know? This isn't even a secret bunker. We're, well, it is to me. <laughs> we have an open window here out to well, the... Where? To, 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 oh, we can't live in here. It's against the law to live in the, here. We're overlooking one of the great tra- traffic areas in Southern California. They can see us. We're waving. i got to praise Tom Westcott. Tom, you there, pal? Oh, Tom. I says Tom once. Tom, Tom twice. Please. Hello. Hey, hey Tom. Tom. See, I well, how the hell are you? We're just fine. Thank you very much. I was just about to praise and embarrass you and myself by saying that Tom Westcott is so damn brilliant, he reminds me of me. <laughs> hey, wow. Tom, 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 Tom. i got to help you out. It's Howard here. i got to help you out. Don't take that as a compliment, okay? okay. Well, you know, I'll, I'll reflect on it later. <laughs> yeah, please do. We quickly, we had Tom on the show two years ago. Is that right? That long? I think it was three. three. No, stop it, Tom. Oh, man, come on. That's when you did the, uh, what's we call it? Book. Yeah, what the <laughs> hell was the name of that thing? Nicely done. Yeah, I love that book. What there was is the name nobody of it? more prepared <laughs> than Bill Oh, the Holiday Bank Murders. Holiday Murders. Yeah. That's there right. There you go. Yeah, that That's was a good one. book. And in your latest masterpiece, Ripper Confidential, you state that of, of all the stuff that you dredged up in that book, the one thing you want people to remember above all else is that you feel should be taken on board by the next generation of researchers is that in the period between November of 87, that's 1887, and August of 88, no less than four women were murdered or severely assaulted in a particular uh, brutal manner. Uh, all They lived in neighboring houses in one particular street. Now, if that happened today, people would say, gee, do you think that's a coincidence? It wasn't just a coincidence, was it, Tom, that these women well, were... Well, I regret to say I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure there is something more than coincidence at play. Now, what you're describing, the uh, multiple women who were assaulted or murdered who happened to live in two neighboring houses, 18 and 19 George Street, that is discussed in depth in my first book, The Bank Holiday Murders, and I... And for some reason, that is not mentioned in any previous uh, Ripper book in, you know, in history. And that shocked me because I think it is uh, – this, this happens just before the quote-unquote Ripper murders begin in the same area involving some of the same people. And I think that uh, what I'm doing is kind of taking Ripper research and, and going back a little further – yeah, um, and I think by doing that, you might get closer to who the actual Jack the Ripper was. I think was. that is a very good road to take, even with neighboring houses on it. Can I just inter- interrupt? Because you said something, Burl, uh, in quoting Tom. Next generations of research, far after we're all gone, there are going to be people out there still talking about this and trying to figure this out. Um, good question, and I would have to say yes. We're 128 years later. 
Uh, more Jack the Ripper books have been published in the last eight years than in the first 50 years following the murder. Well, most of them are yours. <laughs> <laughs> Only the good ones. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. Why will we still be talking about this generations down the line? Why are we still talking about it now? Uh, why, well, do, why do we care? Part of it has to do with a, a term that is popular nowadays, and it's called branding. Uh, very few uh, historical um, figures were branded quite so successfully as was Jack the Ripper. Uh, he was given the most amazing name possible. Also, uh, his murders occurred at a time and a place um, that is romanticized heavily, the Victorian era, London, uh, fog, gaslight, all of those things. It also occurred at the uh, um, a time when telephones were new, uh, telegraphs were huge, and the newspaper market was at its absolute peak, uh, which means that it received coverage worldwide that is hard for us to fathom today, even in today with the, the Internet and such, um, because the reporters, there were so many of them, and they were tracking down witnesses, following up leads, and they were reporting on it multiple times a day in their newspapers. And now in the 21st century, all of those newspapers are being discovered and digitized and put online. Uh, that's why in my books there's so much stuff that was not in earlier Ripper books. This is what I find uh, fascinating, Tom. Yeah, me too. Is that, as Pat O'Day <laughs> once said, and I thought it was quite correct, the problem with history is that the people living it weren't necessarily paying attention because to them it wasn't history. It was just life. Well, it's, well we're, the, the, we will be looked upon many years from now as extraordinarily historic as a true crime show. Yes, right. absolutely. But do we really care today? I know. I mean, I bar <laughs> barely care that Tom Westcott's on. <laughs> but people aren't necessarily paying attention. They may not remember it correctly. There's going to be conflicting descriptions of uh, the people wind up thinking of the same person. I've even read biographies of myself that have wrong information in it. Well, because... Mostly provided by me. Do any of them indicate you're sane? No, none of them say I'm sane. Well, then they're okay. So, so I would figure, as the... Uh, what I was talking about you on the, on the show's blog this week, I mentioned, uh, I said something that was incorrect. That was diminishing research materials. I thought there'd be less and less. That there'd be fewer things to find out. But you just corrected me. You're finding I sure stuff. Did. You, for your finding stuff that people didn't know we had. For instance, well, you know, and, and, it, and it is because London had over 120 newspapers at that time. One for every citizen. Uh, you know, in a major city now, you have you know four or five, maybe. Um, they had a hundred, and all the American newspapers had correspondents who lived in London. And so many new things have been discovered in recent years in the American newspapers that people just didn't know existed before. Um, you know, and then, of course, you have uh, official documentation from the police, and, uh, the, you know, they would give interviews to newspapers. Those interviews are being discovered, and I use those to great effect in my books. Certainly do. So what's the new stuff? Well, the new book that I've got out, Ripper Confidential, um, It'll, in a, a different sort of format uh, to really any other uh, Ripper books, and that is uh, I broke it into sections. Section one is about 80 pages, and it covers the murder of Polly Nichols, 
which is the, you know, many thanks, the first of the Jack the Ripper murders. So this section picks up where Bank Holiday murders left off, and I'm, I've really put everything under the microscope. I've come up with a lot of new stuff, new ideas, um, because, you know, when you're doing history, it's not just about finding new facts, right? It's about when you find those, those facts and you put them into the frame, right. how does that change your overall understanding of other factors? And you have to reassess things. So that's what I'm doing. Um, and uh, You just hit on something that's so close to my heart, Tom, and I'm so thrilled that you mentioned it, and that is you can't just have the data. You have to put it in context of the right. time, the place, the people, the sociology, the psychology, what's going on. And I love the fact that you went back before what's acknowledged as the first one because that helps give it as, uh, uh, as an overture, a preface, a context that otherwise you don't have. Well, and the, the most significant, I think, well, many might disagree with this, but what I think is the most significant um, new information that I've come up with uh, regarding the murder of Polly Nichols is I've identified a potential new victim that has never been known before uh, who appears in my book for the first time who I believe may have been attacked by Jack the Ripper in the same neighborhood as, that Polly Nichols was murdered in and it only maybe an hour or two before she was murdered. But this woman survived and um, went to the London hospital with a, a very violent injury to her arm that could have proved fatal. And... Uh, her information is, uh, you know, what little we know about her, and it's very little, uh, is in Ripper Confidential. Now, one of the good things about these books, when I put them out, there are amazing researchers out there whose abilities far exceed my own, and they'll pick up on these things, and they'll go and find new information. Uh, the Since Bank Holiday Murders has come out, there's a ton of new stuff for when I do a second edition. I'm going to have to make a lot of changes, um, which is great. It's a good thing. So yeah, they they so the they this, now. so they're reading your stuff and then taking the bits and pieces that you're putting in there and then drilling deeper. Oh sure yeah well I read their stuff a lot of the um, research that appears in my books was not actually discovered by myself but by other people but I I keep my finger on the pulse and keep my eye out for that stuff and then I see what it means to me and I go look for other stuff and next thing you know you have a book outside of making a living writing the books about this. Why are you so fascinated by this topic? Um, it's unsolved. I think those are always my favorites, um, you know, are unsolved mysteries. I like to find out, you know, like Lizzie Borden is officially unsolved, but she did it. So that's, there's no mystery in that for me. And I believe at this point I know what happened to JonBenet Ramsey and, and all these so, other So what things. happened to JonBenet Ramsey? Oh, come on now. <laughs> I like Stephen Singular's uh, story. Oh, I don't want to get Well, no, hang on a second, Tom. I'm, I'm just an audience guy, okay? I don't mm -hmm. necessarily hear in, or pay attention or or dig deep uh, uh, on uh, JonBenet Ramsey or if new information. I, I, I don't know. So on behalf of the audience, I'm asking you the question. Okay. Well, what happened to JonBenet Ramsey is her older brother, Burke, um, it was Christmas Day. They were um, up when they shouldn't have been. They were messing around. Uh, he hit her in the head. Uh, and very, you know, he may not have, I doubt he intended to kill her, but he hit her very hard in the head, woke up his mother, um, Patsy Ramsey, who uh, came downstairs, believed her dead, um, 
and then set about uh, making a, a garrote out of her own paintbrush and some rope to try and stage the scene to make it look like there had been an intruder. She did various things to um, JonBenet at, at this time, and then she wrote a very long ransom note, left it on the stairs. She used her own paper, by the way, uh, from the Bureau, her own paper, her own pen, and from her own personal notebook, and then actually replaced the notebook back where she found it, um, which is something, of course, an intruder wouldn't or couldn't have done. And so uh, there was no murder, I, I, I don't think. I don't think anyone was murdered. I think it was accidental on Burke's part, or at least he didn't intend to kill her. And then the rest was uh, staging to protect Burke, I might add. Patsy's motive was to protect her living son. And that's what happened. And the father went along with it. Uh, I'm not even sure if he knew about what happened right away or if he learned later. I don't know, but I don't think he was involved in that process. But even later, he then went along with it. I think he had to at some point. Yeah, he would have had to. Sure. Why did this become such a, a, a deal? It wasn't this, so what you're saying to me is she wasn't murdered. It was probably a, a very terrible accident. Um, and, but it became such a, uh, an over, for its time, uh, became such a, an overwhelming story. Well, it a little white girl that looked uh, like a woman. It was O.J. Uh, O.J. in the early 90s created an environment of crime as entertainment. And that was followed, you know, by Tanya Harding, uh, you know, the Long Island Lolita. And so John Bonet came into that at the right time. This pretty blonde girl murdered in one of the safest cities in the country at Christmas. It was a whodunit. It was the new Lizzie Borden um, for its time. And then you had the element of sex because she did the child, pa child pageants and all that. And uh, the tabloids just ran with it, and it created the staying power. And so John, the John Bonet case will never go away. Boy, well, some of you had people working in the marketing department to come up with something, like if it was a program, you know, for TV mm -hmm. or something. They really hit on a winner there. Well, it was a winner, uh, yeah, for for the media. I mean, it was nothing but content, uh, and it was the same content that it got boring. But but uh, see, the Tanya Harding thing at least had some sort of resolution. She whacks, uh, have her whacked with a pipe, and uh, you know, why me, why me, you know, and then the story's over. I like that one. I didn't like her. I, I wanted to whack her. Right. I didn't even see the porn movie. <laughs> yeah. I well, that one. I, I, I didn't want to. Didn't want to skip it or didn't want to see it? I didn't want to see it. Oh, okay. For what? What do I need that for? You, you know, I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> not on your own, mind No, you. not on my own by any stretch, <laughs> so to speak. But but uh, anyway, uh, so I don't know. This opens up kind of an interesting topic. I, I, I don't want to drift too far off your book by any stretch. Hey, but uh, Tom, i got a question for you. Oh, uh, thanks, Burl. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. You uh, said you didn't want to drift too far off, so I'm bringing it back to the uh, to Fine, Tom. I'll let you do that. You'll let me. Thank you. The stuff I, I had is much more... If I off or anything, just tap me on the shoulder. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you nod off while we ramble on incoherently. Thank you, Mark. Uh, <clears throat> remember the book, uh, Hands of a Woman? Uh, yes, I do. What, what, what did you think? I thought that was a fascinating theory. Uh, well, you know, as a Ripper author, it's supposed to, you know, I'm not supposed to speak poorly of other Ripper books, but... If I weren't a Ripper author, I would tell you it was a piece of crap. <laughs> uh, 
So that's why I like this guy. Yeah, he holds back. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all fake. He, the hands of a woman is about the wife of Sir John William, right? Being Jack the Ripper, um, and it's part of a trio of books. Two of two of the others name Sir John Williams as Jack the Ripper. He was not. Uh, he had nothing to do with the murders. His name never came up in the investigation. He's a highly respected historical figure uh, with many accomplishments to his name. So he was not the Ripper, and his wife uh, most certainly was not Jack the Ripper. What about uh, CSI Whitechapel? Or, ta- or talking what into the mic. What about CSI Whitechapel? CSI Whitechapel. Well, that's a book by uh, John Bennett and Paul Begg, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, you, the illustrations will blow your mind. But it's not a suspect book. Uh, it would, uh, and I mentioned that in my book because that would be a great first Ripper book for anyone to get if they're not familiar uh, with the case. You know, go buy John Bennett and Paul Begg's CSI Whitechapel. Great first book. It gives the basic facts of everything. Um, and they even worked in stuff that I hadn't seen in other Ripper books before. I was very impressed by it. Well, that's good to know for these, those people such as I who all they know about Jack the Ripper is watching, you know, time after time. <laughs> but going, 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 let me uh, wind the clock back in this conversation just a bit, uh, Tom, because you said something that uh, that kind of went by, but um, uh, you answered my question, and it, it didn't strike me as, as, as hard as it just did a few minutes ago, and that is... Uh, you know why would this case live so long? You know, and and you mentioned all the other cases from OJ on down that you know just uh, trump uh, this case in some manner uh, because the media was able to do that. But damn, I'd never thought, and and this is my business. I never thought that the brand Jack the Ripper was so strong that that is what will keep this alive forever. And and damn if you're not right. Of course you're right. This is your business. But my goodness, that's a, it's fascinating. It's fascinating how that... Very because, successful branding. Well, it's great branding, and it's, it's not as much about the murders, you know, and, and, and Tom, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll tap you on the shoulder in a second. But, <laughs> but, but um, you know, the, the way you set up the time and the place and, the, and all the things that went with it... Um, but boy, you'd, you'd think that it would run out, and and when interest runs out, the books will stop and the and the movies will stop, you know. But it hasn't happened, and I don't expect it. It grows over time. These things just get bigger. Well, the damn, well, honest to God, the damn brand is so good. Yeah, it. You know who? By the way, where did that come from? Who, the name Jack the Ripper came uh, in a letter that was written anonymously and mailed to a a press agency. Um, it was uh, addressed to Dear Boss and signed yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Um, most Ripperologists today do not believe that was penned by the actual killer, um, but probably by a journalist. And um, <laughs> no, But the name stuck. Yeah. Well, sure great, great name. I cannot tell a lie. I did not chop down that cherry tree. What the hell are you talking about? I have no idea well, what you said. If, if the, uh, if the, uh, the innuendo or the Rumor is treated as fact, and you print it as fact. Oh, uh, what show are you doing? This show. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So Jack the Ripper was uh, a uh, a fictional construct given to him after the. Use fact. the microphone, Mister. I'm trying. It keeps falling down. 
Well, you see, your job is to find it. <laughs> there we go. And it is, that's, you are correct. Tom, we, 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 we tease Mark. Well, you should. But we mean it. So, uh, back to, should we get back to the book or should we yeah, talk about it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, uh, now this Polly woman, her name wasn't Polly, first of all. And she was. Correct, Mary Ann. Polly is a derivative of the name Mary. Her name was Mary Ann, but she went by Polly Nichols. I never heard that Polly was, I thought it was short for Pollyanna. It's all a derivative of Mary, believe it or not. Most names are. Most names are? Like Horace. Is uh, well, women's names. Oh, okay. okay. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, and she wasn't this, you know, uh, lithe and lovely romantic figure crawling through no. the fog. <laughs> she was the no, bitch from hell. Oh, she was an alcoholic. Um, uh, she she looked younger than her years, probably by a good decade. And uh, as actually many of the Ripper victims did, um, but uh, she so she and she was in good shape. But she was falling down drunk on the night of her death, and uh, and I believe that that's who the Ripper looked for: women alone, drunk, vulnerable. So he was pretty cowardly. Yeah, she'd been uh, sober. She probably could have beat the crap out of him, uh, judging from what it says about her in your book. Yeah, how, there's how, no question. How old do you think uh, Jack the Ripper was when this was going on? I would uh, put him. You know, it's, I mean, it's hard to say. Of course, I I would wager he was. Um, at least in his late twenties, probably older. And he knew his way around sharp objects. Oh, he definitely knew his way around. Yeah. Which is probably what led people to say, "Well, this doctor did it." Well, you got to remember when he was committing these murders, he he didn't do it in houses. Well, with one exception, um, he he committed these killings on the street. Um, at a time when people didn't drive cars, they had to walk everywhere. So foot traffic, foot traffic was constant. And he didn't just, you know, stab them and run. I mean, he mutilated them and took their body parts in, in many cases. This, this consumed minutes um, where he would have been crouched over a dead body, blood all over his hands as he was uh, stealing, you know, uterus, kidney, what have you. And he was never, he was never captured, not even close. So what, did he drag these uh, bodies off into an undisclosed secret bunker? No, because they were prostitutes. Um, you, you could trust the women to take you to their own killing spot. They would take you somewhere where you would uh, be able to have sexual intercourse without being seen. So that's, that's what I believe happened, is he simply let them lead him to the slaughter. Oh, that's really rude. Not a nice thing. I mean, it is. So he had quiet time, so to speak, <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that to be funny. But but he 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 did have the th when you say minutes to do all that uh, dis disemboweling. Um, he had more than minutes, probably. No, not really. And in, in uh, at least one case, uh, the murder of Elizabeth Stride, which consumes section two of my book, uh, it's possible he was interrupted and had to flee. But. Um, Wherever he committed the crimes, he made sure he had a getaway. He could he could get away, and I believe he armed himself. And in case anyone should happen to be in his way, I think he had a he prepared to move past them. But in, uh, in, in what way? How would he do that? Well, I, he probably had various weapons on his person. He certainly we know had a knife, right? Um, but other things as well. 
someone who, who is going to do this is going to think about it a lot in advance. They're going to prepare for it in various ways. But how, how would he have known where she was going to take him? Um, well, he, he may not have. And my guess is many nights he went with prostitutes that he did not murder. Um, it didn't feel right, maybe. Or, his, you know, he wasn't fired up enough. Who knows? But on the times when he did commit murder, Polly Nichols herself was killed on a sidewalk, um, not hidden away. It was on a sidewalk with houses overlooking. Um, so if I would have peeked out the window, I could have seen him disemboweling her. Absolutely. What yeah. about the, what about the screaming? There were there was no screaming. There was an ear witness to the murder of Polly Nichols, a Miss Harriet Lilly, who overheard some moaning and two voices, and that's all. So you've got a, you got an individual with uh, move closer, Mark, with uh, different kinds of uh, sharp implements, packing a body up. There's blood everywhere. There's blood all over him. He's got body parts with him. Now he leaves the scene. How could people not see somebody with body parts and blood all over them wandering around? Well, it was very common at the time, for one. This was the east end of London where all of the butchers and horse slaughterers were located. They would uh, routinely walk the streets with bloody aprons, bloody hands. In fact, three of the first people on the scene at the Pauline Nichols murders were nearby horse slaughtermen who became early suspects. Um, and this was also at a time when science could not distinguish between human and animal blood. Um, so blood was just blood. But, uh, you know, uh, more than likely, the Ripper never got any blood on his person other than on his hands, or he, or very, very little. He would not have had blood anywhere else on him, um, not even on his feet. He never left bloody footprints walking away. Like in Polly's case, he would have rendered her unconscious, I believe, by um, a carotid chokehold, wrapping his arm like Jack Bauer does in 24, would have rendered her unconscious that way, laid her on the ground, um, turned her to her left side, pressed his left hand down on her face, and with his right hand would have pulled the knife across her throat, very slowly, deeply ripping through her, her throat, allowing the blood to pour away from him onto the pavement. And uh, then he would turn her on her back and proceed to do what he was going to do. Once you're dead, you're not, you know, and, and you're not spurting blood. So the blood would only get on his hand. Fascinating. Ah, he put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. Now, the thing is, what we don't know is, as you mentioned, is why he selected some and why others, which is something I found fascinating with uh, Robert Lee Yates. Uh, the Spokane serial killer, much the same, uh, murdering did you, did you write uh, prostitutes. A book about that yeah, I did, uh, <laughs> but that's irrelevant. Uh, is, is why did he choose the ones he chose? He chose the ones that disrespected him in the course of the transaction, uh, or who he felt were scandalous. Or well, my guess is when you know it's like Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer, who was. Uh, uh, prostitute serial killer, the most prolific, in fact, that we know of. And many prostitutes he went, he never killed them. And again, it, it, he said sometimes it was because they were nice to him, they made him feel good. Um, and other times he just wasn't in the mood. You know, he got to the spot and he just, it, you know, because it is a lot of effort to murder someone and do what you've got to do and, and risk getting captured. 
And if you're just not in the mood, you're not going to do it. Yeah, sorry, Eddie, I can't tell you tonight I got a headache. So, well, right, exactly. And so with Jack the Ripper, I mean, I have no reason to suppose there was anything more to it than that. It was crime of opportunity, uh, good timing, and then he had to be in the right headspace, I believe, to to pull it off. And But there had to be more than luck. You can get away with a murder, you know, on luck. But a whole series of them when you were the most hunted man in the world, which he was at the time, um, there's something more than luck at play there. So he, he wasn't a stupid person. Oh, I just thought of another uh, book that uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with, but I imagine maybe you you are. One, 25 years of research went into this one. I think it was called uh, The Fox and the Hare. The Fox and the Hound. Hound, Fox and the Hound. Thank you. Thank you. You do know the book. Well, of course. It's a ripper book. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan, well, it covers a lot of stuff. And I thought that was, what did you think of, uh, of that theory, that it was this uh, 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 Jewish uh, surgeon, a pimp, uh, prostitute, uh, horror monger, and horror murderer who traveled the world? Well, the book was fantastic as a, as a historical look into that time period in those places. Um, the author, I mean, his research was intrinsic. He was clearly obsessed with his subject. And it shows in the book. However, when you get too close to something, you can't be objective. And, and his suspect makes a horrible Jack the Ripper suspect. So the book fails as a Ripper theory, but it is still a book that myself and every other Ripperologist I know recommends heartily to readers because it is an exceptional uh, piece of work. It, it just, the Ripper stuff seems kind of tagged on at the end. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Robert, Robert Graysmith of Zodiac fame also wrote uh, a Ripper book that's not very well known, um, The Bell Tower, and this was like 20 years ago. And he did the same thing. He was researching an unrelated murder case here in America, and like after he wrote the book, it's like it occurred to him, oh, this guy might be Jack the Ripper. And so he just quickly kind of tagged on a Ripper theory and sold it as a Ripper book. It's an excellent book for uh, what it is, covering this murder that happened in Chicago or, you know, uh, no, San Francisco. Um, but as a Ripper book, of course, it fails miserably. So you got to look at those, you know, I judge them differently as a Ripper book and then just as a book. And yeah, The Fox I, I, and the Hound no. is, a, is a must read uh, for absolutely. anyone interested in Victorian crime. I'm crime. glad I'm not the only one who thinks that, thinks that because it, I was on the uh, Edgar Committee that year, and I lobbied heavily for that book uh, for Edgar nomination. Uh, well, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah. Didn't get it, but, boy, I thought that was the – about one of the best books of the year in, in terms of true crime. Um, we had somebody on, Earl, who thought uh, there was a famous artist that was involved. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, come on, we're having fun. Dale Warner, yeah. Yeah, we had that. Uh, we had him on. We held the pictures up to the microphone so everyone at home could see them. Yeah, his book's been a- coming out any minute now for the last five years. It's, it's still not out. So. What, the, the Van Gogh's book? or? Uh... Oh, I'm pretty familiar with that. My book's been coming out for... Uh... You haven't written it yet, though. That's one of the problems. Yeah, well, right. I, I got the world's greatest title. I don't you got, need, you got I don't, the title. I don't, I don't what else do you need? I don't like need a Samuel damn. Z. Arkoff. Yeah. He'd come <laughs> up with the title. He'd say, do a one-sheet. Then he'd say to the screenwriter, see the, see the one-sheet for the movie? Call Write me. a movie that looks like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Samuel L. Brankowitz presents. This is a great way to do it. Yep. You know, start with, well, that's like Jack the Ripper. Start with the marketing first and build from there. 
Well, you know, Jack the Ripper's original name was Leather Apron. That doesn't have quite the ring to it. Help, help me out on that. How did how did that come up and why? Well, uh, and that's discussed in depth in my first book, but Leather Apron, um, because they uh, there was a theory that he was a Jewish cobbler. Um and who would wear a large leather apron and prowl the street, um, terrifying prostitutes. And so an early theory was that uh, Leather Apron and Jack the Ripper were one and the same. And there probably was a real Leather Apron, um, a real a real person who looked like this, um, but he, you know, he, he, he was not Jack the Ripper. Why? But that's how the name stuck, and he was called Leather Apron for a long time. Uh, well, for a couple months, anyways, until the name Jack the Ripper came out and took hold. Why? Why do the Jews always have to <laughs> garner the heat? Leave us alone, <laughs> please. Enough. Well, the the guy at Fox and the Fox and the Hare or Hound or whoever it was. Another one. Yeah, he was Jewish too. Yeah. Well, there's a new Ripper book that just came out this month that has arguably the worst title of any Ripper book of all time, and it's called Jew Bader. You have to look it up. Oh on Amazon, God. Jew Bader. No, thank you. And I don't, I don't they, understand. They called it. me that I, when I was twelve. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't read the book myself. But and now you've got me talking bad about Ripper books again. I'm going to have to watch that. How the I, I, I'm going to lobby against that title. I, I hate that. It's a silly title. It's the worst title well, ever. Jew Bader. It's a terrible title. It's, it's a racist title, quite frankly. So, uh, now I'm upset. Well, maybe it was saying that it was. Uh, they can say anything they want. Get it off the cover. <laughs> Right. That's an interesting approach. Yeah. Uh, but now, in the of the community was Jewish. So it is very possible Jack the Ripper was Jewish. Just, I mean, there were so many Jews in that area. Um, it is possible he was Jewish. Some of the, some legitimate suspects discovered by the police were Jewish. But that's incidental. Let me explain something you know, to you, Tom. Whoever committed the murders was just a nutbag. Let me tell you um, something. Whether he was genteel or Jew really doesn't matter unless you're trying to solve the case and you're trying to look for clues that will tell you one way or the other. Let me help you with your research, okay, on this Jewish theory. Prostitutes are not kosher. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and some of the murders were committed on the Sabbath. No work. You can't do any work. So there you go. There you go. That solves that. Yeah. Uh, you play with many with uh, other titles for your book. Why? Yeah, you had other titles for your book. It was originally called uh, White, White Chapel. Chapel Confidential. Yeah. That is correct, yes. A smart move to change the title. I thought so. Thank you. Was that your idea? Well, everything's my idea, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> everything's all, all the good ones. All the good ones are taken. As long as his name is on the cover, yeah. it's his damn idea. That's right. And just go with it. You can call it Italian, baby. Love the book. Love the cover. The book is called Ripper Confidential. New research on the Whitechapel murders by Tom Westcott. How would someone get a hold of it at this second? Because we've, 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 we've... If someone wanted to buy your book this very instant, how would they do it? They would go to Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk or Amazon.whatever. And you can get it in paperback or in Kindle format. Hey, we're going to take a 60-second break to sharpen our knives. We'll be right back with Tom Westcott on True Crime Uncensored.
Hi, this is Frank Hagan, the gay guy from Outlaw Radio. If you own a cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of RadioLoyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. And you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke, drink, and interrupt each other, which we do a really good job of doing. So once again, RadioLoyalty.com to pick up your free app of Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw. Nice. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rock to the cradle rhythm and blues, taking time out of my busy schedule of ruling the universe of contemporary broadcasting. Boy, am I inflated. <laughs> I could be in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. <laughs> I write true crime books, too, and I've never written one about Jack the Ripper, and I never will because I'm simply not qualified, and besides, Tom does such a good job. Uh, I write books about serial killers, though. Spokane Serial Killer, Body Count, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. The latest, greatest masterpiece of mine is Betrayal in Blue, the true story of the cocaine cops of the NYPD. Co-written with Frank Gerardo Jr. and Ken Urell, the second most corrupt cop in the NYPD. Buy it, read it, believe it. Right now, I'm working on an exciting project. It has Howard just salivating at the jaws like a Pavlovian puppy. It's the story of the Jim Heist mastermind, Pavle Sanomirovic. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Heard of him. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. I haven't heard of him. I certainly hope so. <laughs> We're talking to Tom Westcott, a ripperologist author of the Bank Holiday Murders and his latest one, Ripper Confidential. New research on the Whitechapel murders, and unlike uh, many other Ripper books, it doesn't put forth a theory of who done it. but... Uh, do, do we care now who it's on? Ah, no one cares. <laughs> I mean, Hold on now, someone cares. Well, that would kind of end the industry, wouldn't so, it? So well, let's find out. Uh, the, the, the guy's name was... Uh, Ralph Schwartz. Ralph Schwartz. Now what? Well, then uh, I would imagine three or four biographies on that man would come out, and uh, and then three years would go by, and then out would come the book saying, "Well, he wasn't the Ripper." <laughs> it start all over and again, it, and then it starts all over again. You bet. Do you think your material has uh, shed some light on who might have been the killer? Is it well? Absolutely. Um, my books uh, and the way I've written them are intended. Not for the current market of ripperologists. Most ripperologists made up their mind years ago about what they think, what they believe. Um, these these will have legs, and so 25 years from now, new people coming into the case will be considering my books alongside all the classics um, of ripperology, and, uh, and and they will continue to be relevant. That's the that's the idea behind them. Good thinking on your part. But you, <laughs> you wrote them more in an essay style than. Anything else? Why'd you do that? Why did I do that? Well, and it was because uh, it just made sense to me. Because when you write a book in a li linear form, a, a ripper book, you can only have about 2,000 words to spend on, like, say, each victim. 
and I didn't want to do that. I had a lot to say about Polly Nichols, Elizabeth Stride, and uh, so instead I decided to do it in the form of long chapters, uh, essays, where I could really focus in and, and walk the reader along with me to say, here's what I think, but here's why I think it, and really lay down the evidence and discuss it in depth. Um, you know, so I just write my books the way the way I want to write them. And, well, why, and, uh, why, why so much interest in, in the victim, uh, uh, I mean, to that length? I mean, what, what is it that you uncover uh, about, about, the vi- about the victims? Well, uh, you know, but, well, Holly Nichols' biography was already well known. I, I do have some new stuff in there, such as that uh, it appears she was more violent and disruptive than we may have previously thought, um, which does goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This was a woman who could defend herself, but her defenses were down because she was very drunk at the time she was murdered. But it still tells me that whoever the Ripper was, he was able to overpower a very strong woman, um, and he knew how to do it quickly, and more importantly, he knew how to do it quietly. Uh, and he did this over and over and over again. So these things all tell us something about who Jack the Ripper was as a person. So when I asked you about the screaming, that was that, that's definitely covered. I mean, he had that that one of the first things he figured out is how how to do this silently. Well, and he learned that through trial and error, I'm sure, because Polly Nichols would not have been his first victim. There's no way. And that's why I looked back in, in my first book to the earlier murders and looked at you know including people who survived briefly before dying, you know, and, and, you, and if they were, in fact, Ripper victims, it shows the metamorphosis that he underwent. Yes, very, uh, I'm fascinated by the similarities in the psychology or behavior patterns of these serial killers who go through, a, it's almost like a developmental phase of refining their arts. It's like with Robert Lee Yates, the first first victim he had, you know, he'd shoot him in the... In the uh, in the head while they were giving him head. And uh, the first time he used a 357 Magnum. Big mistake. After that, he only used a 22. Uh, you know, they, they learn as they go. Isn't there a timing issue there, too? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, he had a time issue. Yeah. If okay. after seven minutes, if he uh, hadn't uh, couldn't get an erection, he killed them. Then he could get an erection. I'm just learning. I, I'm just sitting here learning. Now, there's this. no way of knowing if there was a sexual component... Uh, any sort of necrophilia with Jack the Ripper because they didn't have the technology to know that then, did they? Well, no, they knew that. Um, they did. Yeah, they were. It was called a. The Germans would have called him a lust mord, which means lust murderer. And uh, they looked for semen. There never was any. Um, Jack the Ripper, at least on many of the victims, the early ones, he would take his knife. He would uh, prop them up, lift their skirt, and insert his knife into them repeatedly. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely sexual components, but there's, there was no evidence of recent intercourse, which is odd considering these were working prostitutes. But what that means the is slow they, would have a, they would have cleaned themselves after earlier clients and did not have sex to completion with Jack the Ripper in a way that they could identify. Yeah. They ever figure out if Jack the Ripper didn't have sex then with these women, or if he did, he kept it a secret? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, obvious if he had. What they expected to find wasn't there, so he most likely did not have sex with any of them. Hmm. Something wrong in this guy's past with respect to women. Uh, he may not have been having sex with them at all. He may have just been 
Mad as hell. Mad as hell. Yeah, see, that's the thing. And, and if we had the killer, we'd have some answers. But because we don't know who he was, we can't be sure. It's Robert Schwartz. What, what motivated him. We can just make guesses. That's a rough gig. You know? It's a rough gig, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ever, ever possible? There will never be a solution that convinces everybody, or even 90% of people. Um, I think we're, we're, we're past that. I think we have that some suspects are better than others. Uh, you might be aware that the History Channel is soon going to be airing a six-part documentary called something like The American Ripper, um, which is going, I, is going to explore the idea that H.H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper, that American serial killer, you know, what devil in the white city right. uh, from, uh, was Jack the Ripper, and he, he was not Jack the Ripper. He was in America during the time of the Ripper murders. But makes for good know, TV. It, it, well, how the hell TV are they getting in a six-part TV series out of a provenly known guy that was in America when this was going on in London? Well, you know, they just did a three-part series on was O.J. innocent, and at the end of it, they determined, lo and behold, he was not innocent. So, Damn it, I still say he was innocent. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> Well, you stick to that. You and O.J. The the thing is, is Tom Burrell does believe O.J.'s innocent. You no, may not know that. No, he believes he was acquitted. Well, I, consider, I considered the idea years ago, and I read all the research. Um, but it's kind of like the theory with Kennedy, you know, the, the conspiracy theory. If, if you ask the right questions and you find those answers, it tells you everything. So O.J. was definitely guilty. Um, there... And I think it's unlikely he had an accomplice, but not impossible. What's the motive? For O.J.? He's oh, there's uh, 16 different motives. Come on. He didn't like her. Jealousy. There was all that. Uh, there was a thousand. I mean, I can All I can say is, if I had been on the jury, the prosecution oh, did God. not, uh, you know, did not convince me beyond a reasonable doubt. I had too many reasonable doubts. If I'd been on the jury, I would have found him not guilty based on what they saw. Yeah. There's no question in my mind I would have found him not guilty. Um, but, you know, I wasn't on the jury. I, I know a lot more than the jury did. And um, so, yeah, he was guilty for sure. Just like making a murderer guilty. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting one because uh, we've, we've had the prosecutor on here about three times. And we go round and round. Definitely not guilty on the first one. And then we started arguing over whether he's guilty or not on the second one. Well, the, uh, well, you're right. You mean the first one being 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally not guilty on that. But, but definitely guilty on the, the, the young lady at the salvage yard. Um, however, the police did plant the keys. Um, yeah, that, that blows it right out of the water right there as far as getting a, a real conviction. To not me. necessarily. Uh, a new trial, maybe. But they did not plant the blood in the car. That was absolutely... He was wearing a glove. He was wearing gloves when he cut her body up to burn it. And he cut his finger through the glove. He got into the truck. And uh, with the blood seeping through the glove, and that created the stains as you see them inside the truck. Sure enough, um, on his forefinger, on his right hand, the next day was a nice big gash, um, which is what caused the bleeding. Also, he tore the license plates off of the truck, and as he was walking back to his home, he wadded them up in a ball in his hand. That's only someone who works all the time with old license plates would even think or know how to do. 
and he tossed him through a broken window of an abandoned car in the salvage yard that only he would really have been able to see had a broken window because he knows the place. So there mm, could have been no intruder good. on the property doing anything. It had to have been him. End of story. Ta-da! Ta-da. Thank you. <laughs> is there anything? Is there anything else that uh, you think you can write about this case, Gerber case? Is there anything, I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. hear that. He is there anything to... else that you think you could write, or any other information that could come out in another book from you about this material? Did you get it that I, time? I heard... He wants to know oh, if yeah, you're going to write another book and what's it going to be about. Oh yeah, I've got another Ripper <laughs> book in me, at least one more that's going to blow the first two away. Excellent. And I'll probably start writing that in the next year. Now, what what is it about the what you're going to start working on that's got this revelatory? Without giving away any big secrets. A teaser. Well, I'm a going teaser. to explore teaser. a suspect who has never been explored in a book before. Ooh. I'm not going to name him Jack the Ripper, though, so it's not that kind of a suspect book. Again, like my first two, it'll be unlike any Ripper book ever written, um, and it will have some pretty crazy stuff in it. Mm. Uh, the uh, title is The Infernal Machine. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> hey, what do you do for a living? What do I do? Well, I write ripper books. What else? Are you making a living with this? No. I thought not. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I sell stuff. <laughs> what, like contraband? Or eBay? <laughs> no, just, yeah, I just sell stuff. That's pretty much it. Nothing illegal. No. Well, I hope you can hook me well, up there what, for a Whatever it takes to continue to support the work that I you know, do. Ken Jarrell, we got our first royalty checks for Betrayal and Bloom. Yeah. A little three-way split. Ken Jarrell sends me back a message. Now I know why you guys have day jobs. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't. He, well, he used to have a nice day job. Yeah. Yeah, working for well, Adam Diaz for, for 8000 a week. That was a good job. The day job is to pay taxes. The books are so someday I can get me a cabin in, like, Wyoming or someplace with open air, horses, lots of noodle salad, that sort of thing. Ah, I thought maybe you'd move to England and prowl the fog-shrouded streets. Oh, no, I'm not that obsessed. <laughs> there goodness. are people who are, you know. You know, oh, know with the deerstalker yeah. hat and the uh, large pipe. And, uh, Would you ever write a book about the, um, the people... Uh, any particular people that are so fascinated with this that it's out of control? You know what? Uh, it's funny you say that because uh, that is something I've thought about. Um, writing a book about ripperologists or but even better yet, doing a documentary of some sort about the field of ripperology because it is interesting. I've been in it a very long time and I've seen a lot of things, and, and most every, most everyone are, you know, sensational people, wonderful, generous, smart, intelligent, very analytical people. And then you have your fringe of ripperology, like any field has its fringe element. And I think that's where you'd find a lot of interesting people. Oh, I bet. Kind of like the documentary on the two guys that went to see Tiffany. <laughs> I love that documentary. Isn't that, that something? I was the only one who'd ever seen that. Oh, no, I saw it. She was on Matt Allen's show. And uh, uh, I asked her about how she felt about the documentary. And she, she didn't know they were doing a documentary when she was, you know, being filmed for that. And so really? she was rather shocked when the documentary came out. So uh, she had kind of mixed, mixed feelings. <laughs> oh, speaking of mixed feelings, I hear music. Thanks a lot for coming. Tom Westcott, the book is called Ripper Confidential. New research 
and the Whitechapel murders. Tom Westcott's a big book, brilliantly written, incredible research. Buy it, read it, believe it. We've had you on three times. We know you're going to be back with us. Thanks again, Tom. Hey, it. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tom. Hey, Burl. Oh, what, what, what? What's next? Oh, Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live in the Light Up Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com. <laughs> I was able to stop.